HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. The earliest settlers in America, the Dutch, left a culinary imprint on America's kitchen and a long trail of goodies. We'll find out more about that and we'll learn about the Stroopwafel on today's A Taste of the Past. Welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this journey through culinary history. And indeed, several of the mainstays of the American diet were brought to the New World by the Dutch, including such things, well, we can say perhaps such things as pancakes, definitely waffles, cookies, and the precursor of donuts, coleslaw, pretzels. But we've adopted them and consider them American classics. My guest today has made it her life's work to uncover and write about those early food ways and contributions of Dutch settlers. She is Peter Rose, a Dutch immigrant and a food historian. Peter was born in Utrecht, the Netherlands, and was educated there as well as in Switzerland. She came to the U.S. in the mid-60s and has worked as a food writer and contributed a syndicated column on food and cooking uh, in the New York-based Gannett newspapers um, over t- for more than 20 years. She's written articles for magazines like Gourmet and Sauveur, and as well as newspapers in the Netherlands and the New York Hudson Valley region. Very Dutch. Her first book was The Sensible Cook, Dutch Foodways in the Old and New World. And this was really an um, edited translation and version of a 17th century Dutch cookbook called De Verstendige Cook. I, I think I'll let her pronounce that one. <laughs> That's not so good, but she'll tell us all about that. And she followed up that publication with several other books on the food, particularly of the Hudson Valley, and also Dutch flavors, uh, such as the 
Matters of Taste, Food and Drink in 17th Century Dutch Art and Life, along with Dr. Donna Barnes. And she does wonderful lectures on food in the old Dutch master's paintings. Very interesting. Peter was the recipient of the Alice P. Kenny Award for Research and Writing on Dutch Food History. And it is with great pleasure that I welcome her to the show today. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, Linda. Nice. You know, (laughs) some years back, the New York Times wrote about you that you're a lively, talkative woman with a penchant for fine food and that you have spent the last several years trying to recreate the lives of original Dutch, Dutch settlers from the pantry out. And you would like to show Americans that they owe a debt of gastronomical gratitude to the Dutch for the foods that they brought with them. So my first question to you is, why do you think that the Dutch roots of so many of these foods have been, well, ignored or forgotten or overshadowed, perhaps, by the English? Uh, Yeah, I think in the first place by the English, American, America plays up their English roots and... uh, English uh, heritage and so on, but those Dutch roots are there, and they were very well documented, but, of course, documented in Dutch, and who can read Dutch here? (laughs) So since 1974, There's been an extensive program out of the New York State Library. The program initially was called the New Netherlands Project. Now it's called, more impressively, the New Netherlands Institute. And they have translated and are still in the process of translating the Dutch documents that remain a mere 12,000 plus. Wow. So <laughs> you can imagine they're still busy. Right. Well, in fact, the the Dutch colonies back in what the 16, the early 1600s were called New Netherlands, correct? New Netherlands. Ah, New Netherlands. Okay. And yeah. And that comprised quite a bit of the Northeast, did it not? Exactly. And that's so nice of you to ask, because people think it's just Hudson Valley. But that's not true. It's the present-day states of New York, New Jersey, and Delaware, as well as parts of Maryland, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. So it was a huge area that ranged from the Connecticut River in the north to the Delaware Bay. So quite a large area. Now, um, you've written a lot about the the early settlements, and it was... what was it was the East India Trading Company that basically West, was responsible? The West India West Trading India. Company. Okay. It was founded in 
Well, I found it very interesting that you, um, in a lot of your research and, and translation of that early cookbook, please say the name of the, in Dutch of, that, of the sensible cook for me. Uh, that's a really Dutch sound. It's the verstandige cook. Well, I certainly did not get that right. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, it's the... <laughs> oh, <a> good try. <laughs> it means the sensible uh, you know, cook, We right? are known for our guttural sounds, like you say Gouda cheese, and we say Gouda. Oh, Okay. Yeah, <laughs> clear your throat. Right, okay. Um, well, I like it by its English name, the sensible cook, or American name, and that makes a lot more sense to me. Um, but when you started to do the work on this, you were doing a lot of research and discovered that there were quite a few copies of this, and and tell us, a lot of people brought it with them? Well, we're not sure, but it seems that uh, settlers who were here sent home and requested for books to be sent to them. We have multiple uh, letters to that effect. And the fact that the book um, is in so many libraries in America seems to point that way. Hmm. Sort of, sort of like taking the joy of cooking because it was a very common uh, recipe. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It was a very popular book, which contained actually, and that's why it was so popular. Not only a cookbook, but also a book on gardening and how to grow plants and how to root them and so forth. <laughs> they should have called it the book for settlers, right? <laughs> yeah, perfect. in a way, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it, it, you also had to, I'm sure, study a lot of um, manuscripts, handwritten manuscripts for for a lot of your research, did you not? Oh, of course. And that was really so much fun because the sensible cook gave me sort of a basic knowledge of what the Dutch ate at the time. But then by looking at menus from orphanages and menus from colleges, what they've that their students and then go and augment it with cookbooks handwritten by settlers descendants was fascinating and you mentioned a list of things that we have to thank the Dutch for here and over and over, recipes for those appear in those books. Hmm. There's always a recipe for oli kuchen, or oil cakes, literally, the forerunner of the donut. 
and for waffles and wafers and pretzels and coleslaw and, of course, cookies, as well as pancakes and other really what I would feel I really Dutch item. Uh huh. In fact, we even owe the word cookie to to the Dutch I mean, from their Absolutely. original. Absolutely. Yeah. My family always uh, teases me because I tend to say cookie <laughs> with a real ooh, the way we we pronounce it uh-huh. in Dutch. Oh, that's interesting. Um, well, it, it, it's something that I found um, wonderfully. Uh, fascinating is that you looked at some of the ship inventories of some of the early settlers and that one of the cooking items most popular that they brought with them was a waffle iron? Yeah, both waffle and wafer irons. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 20 years ago when I would say that, people would sort of look at me and not know what a wafer is. And now I say stroke waffles, <laughs> and all of a sudden they understand. Uh, wafers are very thin cookies made in a wafer iron in the way you make a much thicker Waffle. Mm, and delicious, too. Well, tell me, what were some of the important items of the, the Dutch diet, the early settlers of the Dutch diet? Um, well, when they came here, the object was not only to trade with Native Americans, but also to be able to outfit ships that would stop here and go on to trade in farther in the Atlantic, in the Caribbean, and so forth. So the object was to have um, an extensive agriculture here. And um, they brought with them their vegetable seeds, the tree stock, for fruit trees, um, we have diaries that tell that Dutch people came to the uh, to New Netherlands and saw the apple trees here. Said they had never seen better apples, and they also brought their animals: oxen, horses, cows. And, of course, pigs and uh, chickens were on board of those kind of boats anyway. Which is very interesting um, because the Native Americans, particularly in this northeast region, they had never, I mean, that was not part of their diet. Chickens and pork did not exist. They weren't here, right? Uh, The pigs in particular would uh, cause havoc because the old way of keeping them was just to let them go, essentially, and forage for them themselves. And they would uproot gardens, and there would be uh, some disputes 
doing Native Americans in the Dutch when, you know, the pigs had uprooted their gardens. There also is a wonderful story about uh, the pigs uprooting the walls of the fort in New Amsterdam. And, you know, just picture pigs in Manhattan right now. <laughs> yeah, that would be something. All right. Um, the I know the Dutch uh, liked their beer, particularly the settlers, and they were some of the, you know, the early brewers to uh, to settle here. And beer had been around for tens of thousands of years, of course, from the Egyptians. But um, but they were quite the brewers, and they loved their bread. So bread and beer that goes together. It sure does, and um, in the Netherlands and here, beer was part of the daily diet, really. Um, beer was the drink, although we have an account for, uh, saying that the water in New Netherland is so pure it can be readily drunk from a, a stream. But, of course, for people used to drinking beer, uh, that was the drink of choice as well as wine. But the general uh, a drink was beer indeed. Mm. You know, it, there's so much going on today with um, uh, grains, not only ancient grains, but um, grains, local grains uh, that growing in particular areas and the types of breads made. And it was interesting to read that the Dutch were really um, such front runners in that, that they really relegated certain grains to types of bread and who could eat those grains or not. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, um, the idea is that the more affluent class ate the bread made with sifted flour. And when you sift flour, you lose a portion of it, therefore you need more to make the bread, therefore it is more expensive. So we're talking like refined white flour, more or less? White flour, exactly. So the uh, working class and the poor, therefore, ate rye bread, or the way... Uh, it is generally referred to as black bread. And our rochebrot, which means rye bread, is very dark in color. And you can see it on 17th century paintings. It is almost black. So white bread was hirenbrot, or gentleman's bread hmm. and black bread was the bread of the poor hmm. and it's not that the poor couldn't or weren't allowed to eat white bread it's just they couldn't afford it wow. the, 
in the deacon's record of the Dutch Reformed Church on Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn um, is the record of Darvikathers, which was a, a beautiful big holiday bread made from white flour, was given to the poor on New Year's Day. So it was a special kind kind of thing if you were poor. Hmm. Um, well, and then the uh, oily cakes or oily cakes, oily cakes, which, as you say, were <laughs> the definite precursor to the donut. Um, what would they have been like? You know, like you have you. I know you've talked about a recipe in in one of your writings about it. How would they be? Oh, they are fabulous. Um, the recipe calls for a couple of pounds of wheat flour and then um, raisins, apples, almonds mixed in, and milk and yeast, of course, and then flavored with cinnamon cloves and ginger, and it makes a terrific ball of dough, so to speak, which is scooped up with a spoon and dropped in hot fat or oil. And it it makes a more or less round ball that becomes a very, very good taste. Uh, baked good, if you wish, or hmm. fried good. <laughs> it sounds good. It sounds delicious. Um, oh, I'll bake you some. Okay. <laughs> you know, you mentioned that the the early settlers brought tree stock with them, which we, we read about often with um, all of the different settlers. You know, even even not that long ago, you know, Italians bringing their fig sprigs with them so they can plant fig trees here and. Um, but so important to realize you know, that America was, yes, we had apples, but there are so many of our fruits and vegetables that we really owe to these settlers who had the, the foresight to bring um, the tree stock with them to plant on this land. But then I thought it was interesting, too, because you wrote about how um, you mentioned that they saw all the apples growing here when they arrived and that how the Dutch were some of the first to incorporate all these apples in their recipes. Um, yes. Well, it's just they, they grow well in the Netherlands. So when they're there, they, they found ways to use them and, and use them even in uh, what would be a main dish. Uh, you know, there's a, a delicious dish of apples, and nowadays potatoes and and pork together. And that brings me actually to uh, mention hutspot, which it translated in English is hodgepodge. It's a dish. Of a mixture of various foodstuffs, 
root vegetables, meats, uh, all cooked in one pot. Hmm. And that's a, or a stew, but it's a hodgepodge, a hodgepodge stew. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, pancakes, of course, we you know we think of in the Dutch baby, we think of a you know a, a a Dutch pancake. I don't think people think about the name Dutch, but they just call it a Dutch baby for a big puffy pancake with apples in it. Pretzels kind of surprised me. Well, they were made because you think they're German. Mm-hmm. Um, they were made in the lowlands, so they certainly are not all German. And in a uh, recipe book from the bakers, I found a, a recipe that calls for them to be made with a little cinnamon and a little sugar. And so they're not what you eat on the streets of New York. Uh-huh. Yeah, so they are a little bit more uh, a sweet pretzel or, you know. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Well, uh, Peter, thank you so much for sharing this information. I encourage people to, to recognize the Dutch contributions to our American diet, particularly in the sweets. And um, I did not mention one of your uh, most recent books, and that is, is that Summer and Winter Pleasures? No, actually it's called Delicious December. That's ah, my delicious, yes. delicious December. Yeah. A delicious. book about holiday treats. Wonderful. Well, there, and you can look for that. And Peter Rose, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. You are really my go-to source for any information on on the culinary roots of Dutch um, cuisine. And um, and stay tuned, because after this, we are going to be talking about something you mentioned earlier, the waffle. So when we come back from a break, we'll tell you all you need to know about that, jumping a century ahead. You're listening to A Taste of the Past. Stay tuned. down to North Carolina Realized there was surely nothing finer Hopped into a tiny highway diner Met the daughter of an old coal miner She said, oh Take me home This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Cane5.com. Running from the Lord on the land Said my mama why you telegram Told I was caught up in a jam And I said oh 
Hi, we're back on A Taste of the Past. And jumping about a century ahead of the early Dutch settlers, that would have been in the 1600s, we're going to go ahead to maybe the late 1700s and talk about a suite that is kind of taking over America. That's the Stroopwafel, or Stroopwafel, or Stroopwafel. I'll have to have Peter pronounce it for me because I'm sure I would get that one wrong, too. And joining me to talk about this wonderful treat is Tom Daly, and Tom is the CEO of Brand Passport, um, importer and distributor of Delman's U.S., and Delman's is the baking company that produces these wonderful treats. Local bakeries produce them as well. We have a couple of, of bakeries here in in um, New York that are making strope waffles. Mostly there's some sort of Dutch connection in there to whoever's baking it because who else would ever have thought to make up such a wonderful treat like that? Welcome, Tom. Thank you very much, Linda. Nice to be here. And tell me a little bit about the, uh, first of all, let's, we're going to talk a little bit about that late 18th century suite. And supposedly that's, it was, it was started in Gouda? That's correct. A baker in Gouda uh, was the first to make the, uh, the Stroopwafel, I see, in the Netherlands. And then when, um, when did the Delmans Baking Company first, uh, first start? making them on a, you know, a, a general production level? Well, the, the Dahlman's company itself began uh, at, in 1909, started by one man, Hermanus Dahlman's, uh, baking small cakes, actually, and selling them off of a truck at uh, local markets. The company didn't originally start with Stroopwafels, but uh, as Stroopwafels were uh, invented at about the same time, um, I'm sure it didn't take very long uh, before uh, Dahlman's began uh, making Stroopwafels themselves. Hmm. So that company is in the Netherlands, and it's still still operating the night from 1909? Yes, uh, still operating, still family-owned uh, since 1909. Interesting. It, it's the largest uh, Stroopwafel uh, uh, bakery in the world, actually. Huh. Um, and... It, they, um, I, I noticed because I, um, I have a you know, the sample in that box of them, and they make them usually there. Well, they were. It means syrup waffle. Is that the translation of syrup waffle? That's correct. The Dutch would call that a syrup waffle. And what was the original or the most the the you say the standard filling in these waffles? Okay. Uh, usually it's a mixture of caramel and cinnamon. Okay. So as my previous guest, um, Peter Rose, was describing, they're waffles made in a waffle iron, right, with this syrup. In, so two waffles put together with the syrup in the middle. Very, That's correct. Very yeah. thin, right, very thin waffles. Um, all right. So tell us a little bit about the background of how – I'm, I'm sure that many of our listeners don't, aren't aware of them, and yet – there's a good number of them who will say, oh, I love those things. Tell us how they are consumed and what's, what, what makes them so popular. Uh, sure. Um, uh, the Stroopwafels themselves, as you said, are uh, it's a very thinly pressed sandwich. Uh, it has a crisp bite to it, and then it gets uh, chewy inside. As you mentioned, it's filled with uh, caramel and cinnamon and, and in our case, uh, bourbon vanilla. And uh, they're terrific right out of the package. Um, but uh, what makes them particularly unique is uh, this wonderful ritual that the Dutch have uh, uh, invented. Uh, and that is if you pour a very 
hot cup of coffee, and you rest your stroop waffle on top of that coffee for about, I don't know, 90 seconds, maybe two minutes. Uh, the heat from the coffee will warm the filling, and it becomes this gooey, uh, chewy, uh, cinnamon aromatic uh, warm treat that you have with your coffee, uh, not just a, a room temperature cookie. They're terrific right out of the, right out of the package. Uh, but if you happen to have some coffee nearby, they're really special. And that's why uh, they are available pretty much everywhere you can buy coffee in Holland. You can find street waffles as well. Huh. Well, it seems that suddenly in the past, oh, I guess maybe over the past five years or so, they just seem to be springing up all over the place. To what do you attribute this new popularity in the U.S.? So uh, some of it is uh, just the breadth of the distribution. Um, uh, we started uh, importing this product about five years ago, and uh, we went immediately out to uh, national chains, and, and we're pretty fortunate in uh, securing several of them uh, uh, based on the uniqueness of the product and uh, making our sales calls with hot coffee. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's a really unique item, and... Uh, uh, American grocery buyers are very excited about it when you can show them how um, how it's consumed with coffee. And so we've been fortunate to have uh, the Dalman's brand uh, accepted at uh, some of the many of the major chains across uh, the U.S. Hmm. Um, well, you and, also, uh, I'm sorry, um, you also instituted a, a, a very, um, I guess, kind of brilliant marketing plan. Can you tell us about that? If you, if you took an early flight. Yes. Uh, one of our uh, larger customers today is United Airlines. And if you uh, take an early flight, uh, you will receive a Stroopwafel um, along with your coffee. It's served a complimentary snack to all of the uh, economy cabin customers on flights within North America uh, and to and from uh, Central America, between Honolulu and Guam, and now between Holland and the United States. Well, I'm glad you don't have to fly that far to get a Stroopwafel. I'm, I'm glad that you can pick one up at at your local um, at your local grocery store, or you know, or find right. others at um, at bakeries. Um, but it's it's interesting that suddenly, yeah, the marketing, I guess, um, made it very popular. And, and as in any new cookie, I mean, look, the Oreo had to start somewhere, right? And it's the same thing: two yes. cake, cakes with a filling in between. But these, these are there is something very special about. I guess maybe it's the tradition and the you know about um, you know putting it over the hot coffee or the hot tea and and making it a, a special morning treat. Also, I did some reading and, and found out that it was very popular at holiday time. They they saved them maybe for holiday times for a while. I, I don't know yep. if you have, yeah. You know, and uh, why wait? Why wait for <laughs> the, you know, the Christmas season? Why not just eat them all year round? Um, but I was interested to see that the Dalman's um, Bakery has introduced different flavors of the waffles as well. Um, yes. Uh, in addition to caramel, we are offering a honey-based variety as well as a maple variety. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I don't know. There's something about that original caramel flavor that just that has me. I don't know if I can separate the two, but it, they are really quite delicious. And once again, it's it's one of these Dutch treats. Of course, it's a Dutch treat that came around later than the settlers, and they would be making waffles, but not necessarily these um, stroop waffles. These you know, the sandwiched together like this. But what a wonderful treat! And uh, for the Dutch to to um, 
to offer to the world and and for Delmans to be still in business. I think that's terrific. And um, and I thank you for for letting us know about them and for contributing to the show and to the popularity of these Stroop waffles, Tom. And Tom, and so you are. So this is the the um, the brand. I'm sorry, brand imports. Brand passport. Brand passport, and they are the. You're the sole. Are you the sole importer of uh, of these of Delmans? Delmans Stroop waffles. Interesting. So you can look for these in your grocery stores. And uh, again, thank you very much. And let's have a day of Dutch treats. Thanks for listening, Thanks for <laughs> and thank you for joining me. You've been listening to A Taste of the Past, and I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, and this has been a show, a regular show, on the Heritage Radio Network, and I encourage you to log on to the to the homepage of heritageradionetwork.org and consider giving a donation. We are a charitable organization, a 501c3, and all of our shows are member-supported, and sponsored and we have a beating heart at the top of the page if you see that beating heart click onto it and give us a donation it'll keep our shows going and keep the lights on thanks for listening Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.